0: The Starbucks Pistachio Latte will transport you to your happy place. The comforting flavor of pistachio, warm espresso, and milk, all with a brown, buttery topping, makes today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app. Bored of binging on box sets? Try something new. Try Chumba Casino. Over a million players love playing our fun casino-style games every single day. You'll find hundreds of games to choose from and some amazing prizes, too. Join the Chumba fun. Head over to ChumbaCasino.com where you can always play for free. That's Chumba, C-H-U-M-B-A, Casino.com. Play for free. Play for fun. Play now. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. It's Michael Nesmith on the Pantheon Podcast. History in five songs with host Martin Popov, a production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out
1: with Martin. Well, hello, once again, Martin Popoff here, back with another episode of History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good folks at Pantheon. We are pleased, as always, to be part of this vast and always growing Pantheon podcast network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right, I'm calling this episode The Shadow Album, episode 136, The Shadow Album. Um, now, these are various ways that these records are sort of the uh, the poke-in-the-gut album, the doppelganger, the understanding, Study the Shadow album, the Parallel Universe album, the I Can Do It Better album. Um, different ways that uh, this album pairs up with the catalog, but it's really not part of the catalog sort of situation. Uh, and uh, and perhaps some of the interest in this episode will be in the comparisons as well as we go along. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll explain further as we get into it. Let's just jump right into our first track. This is uh, this is Vince Neil with Sister of Pain. Right. So the idea here is that uh, Vince Neil is uh, ousted from Motley Crue. Uh, you know, things are just too crazy. He's not he's not working hard enough. Uh, he's not singing good enough, writing good enough, whatever that whatever the situation. Uh, it's basically there's a lot of drama in the band and things aren't working out. Um, but the interesting that, thing that happens is um, this Vince Neil album, this first record that he, he does uh, for, uh as a solo career the second one is called carved in stone it's a little more um it's a little more traditional but this one is called exposed and he called it he called it that because he thought i'm i'm sort of in the spotlight uh this is the most exposed i've ever been there's of course a picture of vince neal on the cover it has got this cool kind of silver silver and white black and white cover um but the idea here is that um this is essentially the follow-up to dr feelgood this was a really good solid hair metal album now granted it comes out april 27th of 1993 it's a little late for hair metal does pretty good on billboard uh gets to number 13 on billboard but it doesn't certify uh but the but the cool thing is is that this really is like the lost motley crew album in a certain way uh in terms of um, following up Dr. Feelgood. So it's the shadow album of the band. It's it's the album that's sitting out there that the band who haven't come out with their John Karabi album yet. Um, so they, they hire on John Karabi. They come out with the self-titled, but that doesn't come out until March 15th of 94. So Vince has... Pretty much a full year in the spotlight with this exposed album. Now, what's kind of interesting about this uh, and why I consider it a shadow album is he basically doesn't, uh, you know, pull any surprises on this. What he does is he turns in a good, heavy, up tempo. Party hair metal album, very professional. Um, you know, we may not we we may not associate Vince Neil himself with uh, all that much professionalism, but um, early early writing sessions on this had Phil Suzanne as part of it, Ozzy Osbourne's bassist. So most of the songs get a Neil Suzanne credit, with some getting a Neil Steve Stevens credit, uh, as you recall this essentially is a duo. It's kind of a Billy Idol situation. So he's kind of shadowing Billy Idol on this as well. Um, but it's, uh, it's Vince Neil and Steve Stevens having a band and, uh, and on drums on the album, you actually get Enough's Enough's drummer, uh, Vicky Fox, uh, credited on the album, but do not appear are Dave Marshall on rhythm guitars and Robbie Crane, uh, on bass. Of course, Robbie will be in Rat and various other things later on. He'll be one of these cool utility men later on. Um, but yeah, he's, credited and doesn't play so uh, as you can tell with this song it's essentially uh you know the the somewhat the improvement uh well i don't know if it's an improvement on dr feelgood but it's but it's kind of in that in that wheelhouse of dr feelgood now of course motley crew will come back and they will do something completely different but then vince will also do something completely different when it comes to his second solo album uh C- carved in stone which will be kind of industrial and trying to be you know uh, uh, you know, up, update, and edgy. And then the funny thing is, when when Vince actually comes back to the band and they do Generation Swine, it's it's somewhat in the vein of a, a combination of the Motley Crew album and the Carved in Stone album in a way. So, so there's some shadow album stuff going on between Carved in Stone and Generation Swine as well, which I found kind of interesting. So um, there's, there's some doppelgangerness there. There's, there's some one guy influencing the other or both, you know, deciding that this is kind of an interesting direction with all these electronics and samples and stuff uh, kind of going on on there as well. And, um, And as usual with these episodes uh, lately, uh, my South African connection, uh, Neil Miller has given some uh, examples as well. I'm not sure which are his and which are mine, but he did mention that, uh, you know, somewhat in this vein as well is uh, the Don Dokken album, Up From the Ashes, is pretty much a a Dokken album. Um, And another one that I want to sort of compare here as well is there's a big similarity between Van Halen and Motley Crue and David Lee Roth and Vince Neil in that David Lee Roth does kind of the same sort of thing. Uh, he goes away from Van Halen with Edom and smile. And what does he try to do? He tries to make the super octane uh, on breakfast cereal uh, and nothing else for nutrition uh, version of Van Halen. Uh, and, and, you know, they've, they've got, they've got, a, they've got a shredder in there and Steve Vai, the clothes are even more wild than they were in Van Halen. Uh, so, so in a sense, uh, not knowing where Van Halen's going, I I suppose at this at this point. I mean, basically um uh, he goes away and says, um, okay, uh, I can do this exact thing that we've been doing better than you guys, uh, you know, better than my old band. So he tries to he tries to get a, a bunch of hot shots together and and build the same sort of thing. So there's there's a similarity there with the exposed album and the David Lee Roth Eat em and Smile album. Uh, you know, the exposed album I'm, you know, it, it sold a lot of copies. It got a lot of press, but it did not even certify. Uh, So, so, you know, this whole Vince Neil solo situation didn't, didn't quite work out for him, obviously. And then he was back in Motley Crue. Um, All right, let's, uh, oh yeah, one more that's sort of uh, also in this exact example of the Shadow album is uh, Udo, U-D-O, Animal House, 1987. So Udo leaves Except after Russian Roulette 1986 and what does he do his first album after he leaves the band sounds exactly like the follow up album to Russian Roulette it sounds it sounds totally like an Accept album of course it's obviously a completely different people and then the funny thing that happens with uh, with Udo Dirk Schneider is he he says all right I'll show you guys Uh, even before Accept get it together and put out another album with David Reese on vocals which is the notorious and uh, notoriously slagged eat the heat album that thing comes out in may 89 udo is already back in january 89 with a second uh udo album udo album uh called mean machine and and again he's essentially doing what except was doing um so there you go there's your there's your shadow album your Um, Not doppelganger. I mean, doppelganger is a funny one. Doppelganger is almost like when you've got two things that are that are not connected in some way uh, that that seem really similar. So maybe that's not the way of putting it. But uh, but it's definitely the the shadow situation uh definitely um the the guy who has left is shadowing or somewhat tormenting the other band by serving them back their own sound sort of thing all right let's move on take a listen to our second track here this is Dio with Blood From A Stone All right, deal. Blood from a Stone. Bet some of you didn't even know he had a song called Blood from a a Stone. Anyways, this is uh, Strange Highways, October 25th, 1993. Now, this is a funny one where um, I, I was going to go with something from Lock Up the Wolves, which came out May 15th, 1990. Now, why are we talking about this? So, Lock Up the Wolves comes out 1990. Rowan Robertson is his guitarist, but suddenly uh Dio, Ronnie, has uh has come up with this sound um that is much slower and much more uh less less flashy, less up-tempo, less willing to please really in, in a certain way. Now, you know, when I've when I've talked to Ronnie about this slow situation that he he fell into and he and he sort of stayed there for the rest of his career, he basically told me that um he he found it more interesting to write lyrics and to sing over uh, over slow stuff. It, it, it made the song more of a showcase for the vocalist kind of thing. Anyways, what's kind of interesting here is that I don't particularly like uh, Lock Up the Wolves, but I really quite like and admire the Strange Highways album. But what happens in between... Um, Ronnie goes back to Black Sabbath, and they put out Dehumanizer in 1992, and it's the it's the exact Mob Rules lineup. You've got Vinny, Tony, Geezer, and Ronnie. But what's interesting about this album is it's almost like it's bent completely to Ronnie's will. It doesn't really sound like a Black Sabbath album. It sounds more like a the album as it is between Lock Up the Wolves and Strange Highways. So I wanted to pick something from Strange Highways here to almost say that um, Strange Highways is uh, the better version of Dehumanizer in a way. Uh, Dehumanizer, uh, it, to flip it the other way, Dehumanizer to me feels like the demo version of Strange Highways, and Strange Highways is the actualization. And I could hear, I could hear Tony Iommi doing all those riffs on Strange Highways. It wouldn't be completely out of his wheelhouse. Of course, Ronnie by this time has a new guitarist again in Tracy G. Uh, and then they go on and do Angry Machines, which I think is an underrated album as well. But Strange Highways, I think, is a, is a pretty masterful album. It's probably my favorite album of that entire uh, later run from Dio, um, excepting possibly uh, Killing the Dragon. I've got some problems with that one as well, but uh, those, those are the two that I like the most. But I really like the way that... The this is a um this definitely feels like uh, like like dehumanizer is the understudy to strange highways and that's that's a pretty weird thing to say, but it almost seems like 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 uh, a he bends uh, Black Sabbath's will to to Ronnie's new predilection for this style of heavy metal and I don't think he particularly bends Black Sabbath's will uh, to his way of thinking. When when they did Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules, I think he definitely does it here. To me, this almost feels like like a Dio band album, uh, where really Ronnie almost like hoodwinks or tricks or or somehow convinces. Uh, a, a possibly not strong-willed Tony Iommi at the time, like, hey, what do you think of this kind of music? And all of a sudden, it's uh, it's all this kind of slow kind of stuff. Now, I don't know how much sense that really makes because obviously there's the whole Tony Martin is he going to be involved uh, situation, blah blah blah, as well. So it's it's not really so much that that Ronnie's writing these songs; they are they are Tony's songs. It's it's stuff that he came up with. But for for some reason, this literally feels like uh, an album that you could just slide right in between. Lock Lock up the wolves and uh and strange highways now um uh, i mean between lock yeah dehumanizer between lock up the wolves and uh, and strange highways now the other one that i think feels a lot like this and it's kind of in the same family is uh is the slaves and masters story so the deep purple album from 1990 i feel uh, a lot like um that is deep purple what what remains of Deep Purple bending to Richie Blackmore's will because Richie brings brings in Joe Lynn Turner, and all of a sudden you've got the two main writers from the from the last era of Rainbow who did that trilogy of albums, right? Um, we've got difficult to cure straight between the eyes bent out of shape, and uh, and here we've got the two main writers. Uh, from rainbow from that era of rainbow uh and roger glover was also in that era of rainbow and roger glover is a writer and roger was even on down to earth so you've got roger glover richie blackmore joe lynn turner and the and then what's left is these two non-writing members of deep purple in ian pace and john lord and surprise surprise uh, everybody says this uh, they say that this album sounds more like a rainbow album, more like the follow-up to Bent Out of Shape than it does like a Deep Purple album. So we've got, we've got an interloper coming into Sabbath who I think bends the band to his will. And we've got, uh, we've got an interloper coming into Deep Purple. Only in this case, Richie was already there. So the interloper is Joe Lynn Turner. And just by virtue of him being uh, a lead vocalist and a lyric writer... Uh, He's in there. He's in there essentially bending the will to the to the will of what Rainbow was. So there you go. I I think uh, I think you have uh, two situations from the same family that have this uh, this sort of uh, shadow uh, shadow album concept uh, right there. Now, uh, let's take a short break. We'll be right back all right back again here history in five songs with martin popoff episode 136 the shadow album um take a listen to our third track this is uh, the explorers with lorelei All right. So you might be saying, who are the explorers? Um, Well, I mean, who do they sound like? Uh, That's your first clue there. So the explorers, I I love this album. I got this when it came out as a new release. Uh, The album is just called the explorers. Yeah, it's just uh, the explorers. And in fact, the spine is really bizarre. It says the explorers and then it says explorers. But, uh, who this is, this is the band that, uh, came out of the Roxy music situation when Roxy music inexplicably broke up. So you've got Andy McKay on sax and oboe and Phil Manzanera on guitar. So there's your Roxy connection. Uh, and then you've got this newcomer, James Wraith on vocals, uh, and, uh, on drums, you've got Steve Gadd and Jerry Murata, uh, bass. You've got Tony Levin and Alan Spinner. Keyboards, you've got Guy Fletcher. Piano, you've got Paul Carrick. And what does this Explorers album sounds like? It sounds exactly like the follow up to Roxy Music, Avalon, the finally successful album in America, sort of thing. Uh, and then the band breaks up. Um, but to me, this is the lost. See, when I was going to do this episode, I was I was almost going to call it the Lost Something uh, album. So that's another term there that I didn't didn't actually put there, did I? No, I didn't. So so the Lost album. So so to me. This Explorer's album is the Lost Roxy Music album because Roxy Music never made another album again. I love Roxy Music to death. Uh, but when this came out, I was absolutely on board um, because what you get is a very Roxy Music type, type album. And then almost comically, you get this James Wraith uh, singer on top who sounds exactly like Brian Ferry. Uh, so essentially, this is the Lost Roxy Music album. Now we get a bonus in this situation because so Avalon is 1980 this is 1985 what also comes out in 1985 Brian Ferry puts up boys and Girls which actually goes gold it's kind of a kind of a hit album for him um somewhat unexpected I would think but boys and Girls also sounds like the the lost Roxy music album so maybe we got two Roxy music albums. Uh, he eventually does Bette Noir in 87, Taxi in 93. More albums to come after that. One thing I don't like about Brian Ferry very much is, is he seems very enamored with cover versions. He does a lot of cover version albums and cover versions, right? Um, but anyways, um, I, I found it very interesting that we get two records uh, of this concept out of the Roxy Music thing, because Roxy Music essentially splits into two camps. We get the Explorers, we get Brian Ferry solo. Who knows why they had to... Maybe they would have been a huge band, right? You can almost see this band with that really corporate, slick, we're-in-a-suit sound uh, throughout the rest of the 80s going first gold and then going platinum and then double platinum and maybe having a diamond in there or something. We can only wish, right? Um, but pretty bizarre that Roxy Music would have to break up. Uh, the Explorers sunk without a trace. Uh, nothing much happened with these guys. I mean, I I look at what I have here from them. They obviously did a lot of uh, promotion of this band because I've got I've got a 12-inch single for Two Worlds Apart. Uh, It Always Rains in Paradise on the B-side and Voodoo Isle. And then what is this one? So I've got another 12-inch for Falling for Nightlife, Midnight Mix uh and uh BW crack the whip on the B side. Um yeah the the band itself even here they're they enf- emphasizing that they're calling the band a trio. So it's this James Wraith, Phil Manzanera and Andy McKay. And another funny thing that happens is that is that on the on the uh, Brian Ferry album, Guy Fletcher plays keyboards on that as well, and Tony Levin plays bass on that as well. So you get, so you get kind of more of the band being being, uh, you know, a crossover. I've got another 12 inch from these guys, more more Louvre than longer mix. Uh, and what do we got here? Venus De Milo, another Lost Soul on the Run, and then I've got, uh, believe it or not, is uh, yes, so I've got a full picture disc 12 inch as well. Uh, from these guys for falling for nightlife and uh, and crack the whip. So uh, so there you go. Uh, check that album out. It's it's hard to find. Um, you can listen to it on YouTube. Uh, it's not on Spotify. Pretty crazy. Um, and uh, so also in this camp, uh, I thought there was a good uh, a good parallel here as well. Neil Miller suggested this one as well, um, but I, I totally agree. So Steely Dan inexplicably breaks up on a big hit album, Gaucho in 1980, uh, but Donald Fagan comes up comes back and he has a hit album uh, that basically sounds like Steely Dan. I remember getting this as a new release and loving it. The Nightfly. It's got him sitting there as the radio guy, you know, the 1940s dude on the cover, uh, kind of a blue and black and white thing. Uh, that comes out in 1982 and it goes platinum. So he does fine on his own. Uh, then he has a Kamikiriad, uh, 1993, that goes gold. Um, what else? Uh, Neil actually gave me a little thing here. He says, uh, "Back to the split after Gaucho. Proceed later." Uh, albums that could have had the Steely Dan name and have all the signature Steely Dan sound. Um, so he, uh, Kamakiriad. Fagan album produced by Becker, so Walter Becker, and eleven tracks of whack. Becker album produced by Becker Fagan, and in 2000 they relaunched Steely Dan name with the amazing Two Against Nature produced by Becker Fagan. All the subsequent solo albums either of them did since then could all pass for Steely Dan albums, basically. So he says, so same kind of situation. You get this band breaking into two parts, and uh, and they both go on and make the Lost Steely Dan albums, so to so to speak. All right, let's move on. Take a listen to this. This is Paige Plant with Shining in the Light. right so this is one this is one i you know as tradition has it when i when i think of these concepts uh, the first one that comes to mind uh i always figure hey i should include that one because it was the first one to come to mind for a reason so love 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 to death the walking into Clarksdale album this came out april 21st 1998 um i did uh talk about this album a little bit in another episode i think i called it uh the next led zeppelin perhaps uh but the point here is is i've always thought this was the lost led zeppelin album so to me to me there's sort of two lost led zeppelin albums and then another one that feels like a led zeppelin demos and b-sides and some of these songs could have been used on a led zeppelin album so to me the masterpiece the classic the one that sounds like a led zeppelin album is walking into clarksdale from 1998 this is the second page plant album, but the first one, uh, more like just redone versions plus some originals. It wasn't really, uh, it doesn't feel like a full album. This is an absolutely full album with a big pile of songs. Um, is there a cover on here? I think there's a cover, but, but it's all the rest of it is all, um, yeah, please read the letter. I think that might be a cover. But anyways, it's it's all original and it sounds very much like Led Zeppelin. But to me, the two lost Led Zeppelin albums are Walking into Clarksdale and Robert Plant Pictures at Eleven. So the very first the very first uh, solo album Robert Plant does to me feels very much like uh, it could have been the follow-up to uh, In Through the Outdoor crossed a little bit with Presence. Now, the other one that feels that way to me is Jimmy Page Outrider. Um, to me, that feels a lot like, uh, you know, your your Darlene and what's the other one? Ozone Baby. Um those later period rarities that showed up on the coda album to me outrider feels like uh where where they might have gone had they brought in more guitar on in through the outdoors so to me that's outrider so to me uh the ones that 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 are the shadow albums of led zeppelin uh which to me is a great concept because we really want shadow albums of led zeppelin we wish there was more led zeppelin uh but to me uh they are a little bit of Outrider, a little bit more of Pictures at 11, and lots and lots of Walking into Clarksdale. I really think this album is so cool. Um, Now, the other neat thing about this is uh, Michael Lee is the drummer. Michael Lee, uh, you know, he played for uh, Thin Lizzy and various other bands. Um, He, uh, sadly, we lost him a few years back, got to meet the guy, great guy. Um, But he plays very Bonham-esque on this album, so that gives it a Led Zeppelin vibe. Um, But then also interloping in a certain way, um uh so so we get charlie jones on bass so i guess what i'm trying to say here is that in a certain way um does robert plant trick jimmy page into playing on a robert plant solo album because to me this kind of feels like uh it could also be in the robert plant solo canon because he's so universal and uh, diverse and he does so many different things but because he's got charlie with him as well it's feeling a little bit like um because i i also feel that jimmy page doesn't have that strong of a will uh when it comes to writing anymore after led zeppelin is over it's 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 almost like when john bonham died his 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 will to be a a creative musician in a big way kind of kind of died with it sort of thing um he does come back and do things now and again there's coverdale page of course as well uh but to me i think i think that that charlie jones narrative piece in here almost feels like Uh, it, it almost feels like Robert plant is bending the will of Jimmy page into his solo career, but it's like, we're going to call it page plant, but, uh, but Charlie and Michael and Robert kind of all know that it's a Robert plant solo album in a way, in a way. Uh, I just, I just thought that was a kind of an interesting way to look at this as a, as a shadow album. So it might be a shadow Robert plant album, uh, as well. Um, and yeah, this album went gold. So that was kind of cool. Um, it was, a, there was a big deal about it. I love the album cover. Uh, I love the title, a very kind of enigmatic title. Um, So there you go. Walking into Clarksdale uh, with Shining in the Light. All right, let's play our last selection for the day. Uh Take a listen to this. This is Halford with Temptation. I
0: made you feel I was a victim of the prey. I'll let you talk.
1: All right, so this is Rob Halford from the Resurrection album, uh, August 8th, 2000. Now, this fits into the concept for me of the, um, you don't want the brand, I'm taking the brand. But it took Robert um, Rob Halford a long time to take the brand because, obviously, um, fight, he didn't want the Judas Priest band particular brand. Two, he certainly didn't want the Judas Priest brand. Uh, jugulator and Demolition, Judas Priest didn't even want their own brand. But uh, after after sort of failing at these other things, Rob Halford more or less is is uh, succumbing to the fans. Uh, desires and essentially giving them what they want. So resurrection to me is the shadow Judas Priest album. It's the Judas. It's the Judas Priest album. It's the understudied Judas Priest album. It's the it's the mischievous Dennis the Menace Judas Priest album. It's the one that's saying you guys don't want to be Judas Priest. Yeah, you're right. I didn't want to be Judas Priest either, but. I've got this this crack band here, and we're gonna be Judas Priest for a while if you guys won't do it. And there was a lot of excitement around Halford with this resurrection album. It's a good solid um power metal album, but it's got some nice um yeah, a personality to it with things like like twist. Uh that was a cool tune on here. Um, but uh um, yeah, this was this was part of the whole sanctuary thing when there was a lot of excitement around Sanctuary and Queensryche and Entombed and everybody, and there was that tour. Um, but I I thought and and when he went out live with this band, he played a lot of deep Judas Priest tracks and uh and it was just a really good band with a good show. So, in a sense, I really do feel that this is the shadow. What what were my definitions here? Uh the lost album. So it's kind of the lost Judas Priest album in a way. Um, is it a doppelganger? It's a doppelganger of of, uh, of kind of the painkiller. Uh, ram it down. Maybe a little bit of hellbent for leather. Maybe a little bit of stained class in here. Uh, maybe a little bit of uh British Steel. Um, so it's a little bit of that. Uh is it the understudy? Well, it is it is the punk rock version of Judas Priest, right? It's the it's the young guys who grew up on Judas Priest with uh with uh you know the grandfather up there at the vocalist. Is it a parallel universe? It's certainly that. Um it's a five-piece band while Judas priest is still in operation. So you've got the ripper version of Judas priest struggling through these years. And all of a sudden you've got Halford right next to them kind of, uh, kind of kicking their asses with a, uh, with an album that was more well-received and had more goodwill to it uh, for the fans. Uh, and it's certainly uh, a kind of, I can do Judas priest better, uh, better. You don't want the brand. I'm taking the brand uh, kind of album there. Uh, yeah. Pat Pat Lockman on guitar, Mike Mike uh, oh, I, I don't know if I've ever said this name. Uh Chlaziak uh on guitar, <laughs> Metal Mike. Uh that's why they call him Metal Mike, right? Uh, Ray Riando on bass, Bobby Jarzombek on drums. So yeah, pretty cool. Um and I just wanted to mention there's a kind of a parallel situation to this with the whole Uh, Jeff Tate leaving Queensryche. So he leaves Queensryche and he does an, an album. Well, there's Kings and Thieves as well, but the Jeff Tate album is very off, off base. And then he eventually comes back, um, comes back to making Queensryche type albums. Um, you know, with this tail between the legs sort of thing, we get the, um, the Frequency Unknown record, right? Um, which is, quite queensryche but it's Jeff Tate coming back to Queensryche. So that's his resurrection. Um, and then Queensryche, of course, gets taught in, and then they get even, well, yeah, well, they get more Queensryche than they had been with with uh, Jeff Tate. So uh, all of a sudden, you've got in 2013, literally April 2013 for Frequency Unknown, and uh, and Queensryche comes back with the self-titled Queensryche album in June of 2013. So you've got 2 queensrykes doing very queensryche type music, and then Jeff Tate goes on, and he does the operation mind crime band they put out three albums in 2015 2016 2017 i think they're really good albums and they and they're quite queensryche is as, as well certainly compared to the jeff tate uh, album so um that's your parallel i uh, i think i think there's a parallel and of course Queensryche and um uh Halford were both on Sanctuary uh, but there's your there's your parallel uh, there I think they were on Sanctuary Queensryche weren't they uh, maybe it was just the management uh, anyways but there's your parallel between the uh, the exiled lead singer and what he did and what Rob Halford did quite, quite a few sort of uh, comparisons there alright there you go if you liked this show and want to support future episodes of course you know the only way I am funding this thing is through Kofi rhymes with no fee uh, at Kofi.com slash Martin Popoff you can hit that Red support button, and it uh, I guess magically zooms you over to PayPal somehow, and you can buy me a coffee or a pint. It's this three dollar thing that they do there. And on that front, this week I want to thank Andy at Black Sugar Transmission, Joe Becht again at Bel Air Expediting. He's been on our panels lately for Contrarians, very cool. Um, Bruce Campbell, actually Joe, I don't know if you noticed, but um, on Sea of Tranquility I, I did uh, I did a thing where we did a homework assignment, and I did the Hound. So I was thinking of you there. Uh, a, a, a local band does good, right? Um, uh, let's see. Bruce Campbell, Andrew Clark, Jeff Darr, Brad Duran, Tim Durling, David Fisher, Ryan Gavalier, Carl Isaacson, Darren Kasabowski, uh, Davin Lasko, Dennis Lawson, Augustin Garcia DiPredes, Steve Polari, Scott Ray, David Ria, Davin Reeves, CJ Shosha daniel wagner and adam Zenobi. thank you all very much uh and uh yeah martinpopoff.com for all your book needs uh, got a few things in from the uk there were some damaged smoking valves in there unfortunately if you want one of those old new wave bridge head metals will strike you a deal on that a uh, couple of deep purples got a little damaged as well this has kind of always been an ongoing problem with the these uk shipments but but um We'll sort it out. Uh, And uh, yeah, um, many, many things in stock over at martinpopoff.com. There you go. Let us know on the Facebook page if you can think of any more of these doppelganger shadow albums, understudy albums, uh, poke you in the ribs albums. Thanks again. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at
0: www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology.